Hey, welcome to the podcast of C3 Los Angeles. I'm Jake Sweetman, and together with my wife, Nicole, we lead this church. We're glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're tuning in from, that you are encouraged and strengthened by this word. Here's today's message. Have you ever wondered why we get to be sheep? Out of all the animals, like, Allie, we could have been a horse. You love horses. I know, right? Like, why aren't we, like, the beautiful stallion? But we're sheep. We're little fuzzy sheep. And uh, so I decided to do some research and be like, hey, here's some fun facts about sheep that began to connect the dots why we are sheep. So sheep are, despite what you may think, they're actually highly intelligent animals. They're highly intelligent. They're highly social animals. They, in fact, find it quite stressful to be isolated from the flock. They like to be with their little lammy friends. A study actually showed that Sheep can recognize up to 50 other sheep faces. Now, I would love to be a part of that study to understand how they worked that one out. We know that sheep, they are prey animals, so they have no self-defense. There is no camouflaging the fluffy coat. They have no weapons for defense, no claws, no sharp hooves, no powerful jaw. In fact, they don't even have front upper teeth. They need to go to the dentist. And because they are prey animals, they have evolved not to show easily recognizable signs of suffering, which I thought was interesting. So sheep are maskers, just like us. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? And they are emotionally complex, and all the men said amen. (sighs) They can be angry, bored. And what does a bored sheep look like? Sad, happy, afraid, and again, studies have shown sheep can be pessimists and optimists. Again, I would love to be part of that study. Now, more related to our our journey here today, I found out that sheep do not lay down when they are hungry. They do not lay down when they're hungry. Now, for those of us who know the infamous Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, right? And he makes us lie down in green pastures. So it begins to point to the promise of fulfillment we find in his presence so that we can lay down. Have you ever wondered why the good shepherd leads us beside still water? Because sheep can be scared. We discussed this. And so if the water is moving too quickly, they'll be too frightened to drink from the water. They'll be too scared. So right here, we're beginning to understand how God, our shepherd, doesn't just know our needs, but he knows how to meet our needs. And shepherding has been a foundational uh, point to the Jewish understanding of humanity from the very beginning. For those of you who have been journeying every week with us um, in church, and we've been going back to the very beginning and learning about how Jesus in these I am statements is fulfilling these words where man failed to fulfill. (laughs) And we look at the story of um, Adam and Eve in the garden, and we look at their first sons, uh, Abel and Cain. And Abel was the very first shepherd. It tells us in uh, Genesis 4 that Abel kept the flocks and Cain worked the soil. If you know their story, Abel brought the offering that pleased God because he brought the first little lamb of his flock, where Cain just brought his offering over the course of time from the ground. And as a result of God favoring Abel, like every, you know, second-born child feels, Nobody? No second-born children in this room? Just me? Okay. Well, they got, you know, Cain got really jealous of Abel. 
He got really jealous, so jealous that God comes and warns him. He's like, Cain, if you don't get this anger out of control, sin is crouching out your door, ready to devour you. So you got to rule over your sin. Well, we know that he doesn't, and he kills his brother instead. And as a result, God comes to him and says in Genesis 4.12 that when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you, and you will be a restless wanderer on earth. And Cain, hearing these words, echoes and cries them back in anguish to God. And he's like, I will be a restless wanderer on earth. And whoever finds me is going to kill me. Now, we need to recognize something here. You and I are like the Cain's and Abel's. We have been born with a sin nature. And thus, we have in us this innate desire to wander. And it also makes us susceptible to the enemy, who is the lion, who is crouching around like God had warned Cain about. But we have Jesus. We have the good shepherd. And so Psalm 23 continues and tells us that his rod and his staff, they comfort us. Because right here from the very beginning, we are sheep who are in need of a shepherd to lead us so we don't wander. And we are sheep in need of a shepherd who will protect us. Because I know we all like to think we look like little Mabels, cute, innocent, but we are really sheep with mad cow disease. (laughs) We are complex sheep, and we are hangry, and we are panting, and we are scared, and we are running to the cliff's edge. And so God introduces this picture of him as our shepherd because he cares for us. He knows what we really need. And so this role of shepherd is something that extends not just to God in the Old Testament, but to other leaders that he calls to lead his people. Now, when we think of shepherding our Western minds, we think of Yellowstone, the cowboy on the horse with the dog yapping at the heels of the lambs, scaring them into obedience with a lasso and a whip. But shepherding back in the day was not done like that. Shepherding was done up close. It was a role that was done amongst the flock. They would, the shepherds would lie with the sheep. They would count them every morning. They would check their health, and they walked with them. And as Jesus said, they called, the shepherds would call the sheep, and the sheep would follow their voice. That's how shepherding was done. Now, I know that sounds so picturesque and, and sweet, but shepherding was actually a matter of life or death. It was not an easy job. So it wasn't Jesus in his leather sandals and his little robe cuddling the sheep, but it rather, it looked like this, and you guys don't have this verse, but it looked like this. David says to Saul, David the shepherd, he says, your servant has been keeping the father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it and killed it. I mean, you're killing lions and bears for the sake of protecting the flock. And so when God calls people to shepherd his people, it's a tall order. And so we see shepherds all throughout the Old Testament, Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Amos, and of course, our beloved David. But the thing that happens is as soon as man gets involved in shepherding the flock, things have the tendency to go a little sideways. And as we go further into the Old Testament, we begin to see uh, the role of shepherding being extended to political figures. Kings are now called shepherds of the flock. And we see God begin to bring judgment against those who he is now calling the bad shepherds. 
I'm just here to wake you guys up this morning. I'm a mom, I'm allowed to be cheesy, it's okay. So we see the introduction of these groups that are now being called out for being bad shepherds. If we're going to talk about the good shepherds, I just want to introduce the bad shepherds so we kind of understand the difference. So the first group of bad shepherds we see are in uh, Jeremiah 23. And the bad shepherds, they were called evil. And these were the kings of Judah. And God comes to them through Jeremiah. And he says in Jeremiah 23, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. Because you've scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will punish you for the evil that you have done. Now, what have the bad shepherds been doing? They have, not, they have been failing to execute justice. They're shedding innocent blood. They're committing violence against foreigners and the fatherless and the widows. They were evil shepherds. And so God rolls up his sleeves as he does in our lives and he intervenes and he begins to say, I will rescue the remnant. I will gather my flock back together. And he seals it in with the promise of the coming good shepherd that is to come. And Jeremiah 23, 5, he says, the days are coming when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just in the land. And in verse 6, it says that his name will be the Lord, our righteous Savior. The next group of bad shepherds we see is now in Ezekiel 34, and God comes to these uh, kings that are now the kings of Israel, and he says to them, woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? See, these leaders were not caring for the sheep. They were, they were taking the weakness of the people and exploiting them and using them for selfish gain. And as a result, the people were being led to chase after the idols and immorality, or as God described it, you are scattering my flock and allowing them to become food for the wild animals. But who knows that God was going to raise up the good shepherd who looked like David in the field who said, I'm going to go after that lion. I'm going to go after that bear. I'm going to pull the sheep out of its jaw and rescue him. And so he brings this promise to the people in Ezekiel 34, 23. Listen to this. God says, I will place over them, there it is, one shepherd, my servant David, pointing to Jesus, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. See, this is the backdrop against when Jesus stands in John 10 and says to this audience, I am the good shepherd. I am the one shepherd. He is pointing to the prophetic promise that had been given to the people. He's not just saying, look, I'm a good guy to follow. I got the blue check mark. I got some good ideas for your life. He is saying, I am the rescuer. I am the savior of the entire world. And so to give us an understanding of what it means to have a good shepherd in your life, I want to illustrate it for you through the story that comes just before John 10 and John 9. We see a story of a blind man being healed by Jesus. And this is really going to set the scene for this statement of, I am the good shepherd. And I'm just going to summarize this for the sake of time. But in John 9, Jesus is doing his repeat offense. He goes and he heals a man on the Sabbath. And all the religious leaders are like so ticked off about it 
because that was a big no-no, right? And right now, at this point in Jesus' time on earth, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are building a very real case against Jesus. I mean, they are ticking every box he is doing to upset them, to break the law. And he, they are ready to um, not just arrest him, but they are building a case against to persecute him. And so it's with this Um, kind of environment that Jesus goes to a man on the Sabbath who had been blind since birth. And he walks up to him, and he puts the mud in his eyes, as you do, and he just says to him, his only words, he just says, go to the pool of Siloam, wash your eyes, and you're going to see. And so this guy gets up, wanders away from Jesus, like Jesus is now not on the scene. He goes to the pool. He washes his eyes, and you bet he starts to see. He can see. Now, anyone who just receives a miracle, there's some celebration, you bet, that probably occurred. And the neighbors standing around him are like, wait a second, is this the guy that we've known his whole life who's been the blind beggar? Is this him? And he's like, guys, it's me. I can see. This is amazing. And they're like, I don't think that's him. Is that him? I'm like, really, guys? You've been staring at him his whole life, and now you're questioning just because he can see? And so they're not sure what to do with this. They're like, what, what happened? He's like, I don't know. This guy put mud in my eyes. This man named Jesus. And they're like, well, I don't know. This doesn't check out. Let's take you to the religious Pharisees. They put him down before the religious Pharisees. And this begins this long uh, list of questioning him. Now, could you imagine you just received the biggest breakthrough in your entire life, in your community, your neighbors, instead of celebrating with you, are so spiritually blind that they are berating you with questions, with doubt. And so the religious Pharisees are like, how did this happen? He's like, I don't know. I washed my eyes, and now I can see. And they're like, well, what do you say about this man that healed you? And he's like, I guess he's a prophet. Well, they didn't like that. And they're like, well, no, he's not a prophet. He's a sinner. And I don't even know if you were really blind. So let's call your parents over and allow them to confirm the testimony. Now, this is the moment. Come on, moms and dads. If you have been praying for a breakthrough in your child's life and you get called before the court to testify about it, listen to what they say. And John 9, 20, he says, we know he is our son. Check. And we know he was born blind check. But how he can see and who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. And that is why they said he's of age. Ask him. So now his parents just step aside leading him to his own defense. And so the Pharisees are getting like, come on, dude, just be honest with us. Like, who's this guy? And they're like, he gets fed up. He's like, what, do you want to be their disciple? Like, why do you keep asking me these questions? Well, that really ticks them off. They're like, we don't even know where this guy comes from. We're disciples of Moses. And so they kick him out. Like, you are a sinner. Boop. You're not allowed to be in the synagogue anymore. And then I love this. This man has just gone from the highest high, (laughs) rejected, to his lowest low, and John 9, 35, here comes the good shepherd. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, the man asked. Tell me so that I may believe. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, Lord, I believe. 
Not Jesus the man, not Jesus the prophet. Lord, I believe. And it's in this moment that Jesus stands and begins to declare in front of the Pharisees judging him, in front of the neighbors that rejected him, in front of the parents that stood aside, and he says, I'm the good shepherd. And so I just want to draw out three things that we need to wrap our minds around that this man shows us in his encounter with the good shepherd. The first thing I want you to understand about Jesus, the good shepherd, is that Jesus lays down his life for you. He lays down his life. He said it in John 10, 11, I'm the good shepherd, and he lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf, he abandons the sheep, and the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. See, what Jesus is saying here is him bringing and laying down his life for you isn't just to give you a ticket to heaven, but it's an expression of his heart, of his devotion, of his undeniable, unshakable commitment to you as the good shepherd versus the hired hand. The hired hand is okay with doing the job up until a certain point. As soon as the risk outweighs the reward, as soon as the cost outweighs the pay, they bounce. As soon as the parents began to fear the rejection of the synagogue, they bounced. We see this hired hand mentality with the parents, do we not? They're willing to stand in their son's of, um, defense, but only to a certain point. But Jesus, the good shepherd, doesn't run away from you in a time of trouble. He does not abandon you, but rather he goes. As soon as he heard he had been rejected, what does Jesus do? Where is my sheep? I'm going after him. I'm getting him out of the claws and the jaws of the lions and the bears. And we all know that feeling of rejection. Come on, we've all been there, feeling abandoned, neglected at some point in our lives, overlooked. And when those moments happen, they leave a mark on us. And we have a choice in that moment to guard our hearts by going to the Good Shepherd to find healing and restoration, or we can choose to guard the wound of the hired hand. And when we find ourselves licking our wounds of the bite of offense, licking our wounds of the bite of unforgiveness, that heart now becomes a petri dish for sin. And we are like the canes of the world, allowing our sin to rule over us versus allowing us to rule over our sin. Are you nursing a wound from a hired hand? Are you susceptible to wandering? The good news is we have a good shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after the one. He's going after you today, my friends. No matter how much something hurts on the inside of you, don't use it as an isolation because Jesus is always chasing you down. But it's up to us to have the eyes to see the good shepherd because he's always there. He never abandons you. Are your eyes open to perceive him? Are your eyes open to see him? How does the good shepherd come to us? Maybe through a friend, a pastor, a leader. Hey, you're wandering to Cliff's Edge. Come back. Maybe it's waking you up in the middle of the night. Maybe it's a prompting to forgive that person again, to lay that thing on the, on the altar again. Can we be the, the blind man that when Jesus comes, do you believe? Oh, Lord, I believe. Can we receive the good shepherd who is always chasing after us? The second thing I want you to know is that the good shepherd 
He intimately knows you. He intimately knows you. In John 10, 14, he says, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life. Now, I need you to wrap your mind around this. This isn't like, yeah, yeah. Okay, I know. I sang this song as a kid. Jesus knows me. He knows the hairs on my head. He knows me. No, no, no. He knows you. He knows your past. He knows the future. He knows your present struggle. He knows the thoughts in your head before you say a a single syllable on your tongue. And yet, knowing the good, bad, and the ugly, he still lays down his life for you. See, Jesus sees you right now, here today, as a person worth redeeming. The Pharisees looked at the blind man. You know what they said to him when they kicked him out of the synagogue? They said, you were steeped in sin at birth. Good riddance. Well, you know what? We were all steeped in sin at birth. (laughs) All of us. We're all part of the club. And Jesus sees us yet still as one to lay down his life and redeem us. The beautiful thing about Jesus the shepherd is that this is not a stalker relationship. Like, he doesn't know you like you know your friends on Instagram by just scrolling through and seeing the highlight reels. Come on, we have categories of friends. There's the friends that you know via Instagram. I'm going to slide into your DM and say, hi, how are you? That's cute. And then you have the friends that you cry with, that you talk with, that you emote with, that you go through the highs and lows with. That's the kind of friendship God is inviting you into through the Good Shepherd. He wants you to follow him, but that means we have to know his voice. See, have you ever thought about the way that God has designed us to distinguish and to decipher sound? Isn't that cool? The other day I was driving in the car with Mabel, the little sheep on the screen, and she's like at that stage where she asks really complex, well, simple questions, Lindsay's with me, that require complex thought to answer. So she's like, mommy, what is sound? And I'm like, Well, easy enough. My hands are on the steering wheel. I've turned off Surrey because she's she's disobedient. And so I'm left to my own brain to figure this one out. I'm like, Mabel, sound is like a noise. It's a distinctive noise. It's a signature noise. You know, like every bird has a song, Mabel. (laughs) I don't know if she understood me. But every parent gets it. Like if your kids are on a playground and your child falls and gets hurt, like you know the sound of your child's cry, right? It got me thinking about when I had Winston, our nine-year-old son, and uh, he, like every good boy would do, decided to poop before I delivered him. So he pooped in the womb, which is bad for babies because that means they're now, you know, breakfast. They're having breakfast. It's not good. So anyways, when he came out, anyone here that doesn't know about the birds and the bees, you can ask Pastor James later to explain it to you. It's good to laugh in church. I love laughing in church. Okay. So he's born, and he doesn't cry right away because, again, he had breakfast. And so the NICU nurses immediately have to take him to the little clear, you know, 
pen that they put the babies in. I'm not a doctor. And they're like <laughs> pumping his lungs. They've got tubes down him. And so then I'm delirious. You know, I just gave birth. And all of a sudden I hear this little cry. And I'm like, oh, that's my baby. I don't have to set eyes on him. Like, I know that's my child. And he's so upset. He's crying. And so I just start going, Winston, Winston. I look at him, and he can see me through his little clear pen, and he's looking at me, and we just lock eyes, and we have this moment, and he's calm, and he's happy. See, God designed us to recognize the voice of the shepherd. God designed us to recognize the voice of the shepherd. The promise isn't just God knowing you. It's you knowing him, so you know how to follow. He wants to have a friendship with you. He doesn't just love you like you have to love a relative. He likes you. He wants to hang out with you. <laughs> Point number three, Van, come up here. <laughs> Point number three. He perfectly, I'm just helping you understand. He perfectly leads us, the good shepherd. He perfectly leads you. You might be wondering, why am I here today? How did I find myself in this seat? The good shepherd, he led you here. He wanted you to have some giggles. Most importantly, he wanted to have a meeting, an encounter with you. He wants you to get to know him. John 10, 27, Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish no one will snatch them out of my hands. See, Jesus is in that picture of the cowboy driving the sheep by force. He calls us gently and he leads us into abundant life. Again, fulfilling that prophetic promise. God, I'm going to rescue my flock. I'm going to bring the scattered back into the fold. How am I going to do it? There's going to be one shepherd. He's going to be righteous. That's what we've been given. If we remember the bad shepherds of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they failed to care for their flock with all the power that had been invested in them. They failed to care for the sheep. But Jesus points to his power in John 10 when he says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down and I pick it up on my own accord. This is a command I received from the Father. He's like, I have power over life and death. And how does Jesus choose to yield his power? For the sake of a sheep, for the betterment of his sheep. See, when he looks at you and I, I told you he sees us as someone worth redeeming. When he looks at you, he, he sees us and recognizes that we are in mortal danger. And so in our defense, like every good king would do, what does he do? He goes to the front lines. He's not just a shepherd that leads us, he's shepherd king. He went to the front lines of your life and he says, I'll take their sin. I'll take their punishment. Let me go first. Let me take the, the death that they cannot bear so that they can have life. But as the little sheep, it's up to us to be rescued. As the little sheep, it's up to us to follow. Some of us are treating the shepherd king more like a therapist or a mentor 
instead of the shepherd king that we follow as Lord of our lives, it's like, I'm going to book an appointment with you. I'm going to have a conversation. I'm going to, okay, yeah, that's good. Not really sure. I'm not ready for that. Thank you. He perfectly leads us into eternal life. And some of us are treating God with a strong-willed nature on the inside of us that's not yoked to the spirit, but yoked to our own flesh. But he's not gonna strong-arm you. And so we have a choice here today to make. Am I in step with my own will, my own ways? Or am I yielding to the King Shepherd, the one who gave his life, that has all power, all authority, who perfectly leads us? Romans tells us that how do we know we're children, a.k.a. sheep of God? Because we're led by the Spirit. That Holy Spirit I talked to you about at the beginning of service, He's available to every single one of you, and He wants to be the compass inside your heart that keeps you from wandering, that keeps you from scattering when tough times come. You've been listening to the C3 Los Angeles podcast. If you found today's message helpful, we encourage you to share it with a friend and consider rating it. If you'd like more information about our church or details on how to get connected to a neighborhood group, head to c3losangeles.com. We love you. Thanks for tuning in with us.